Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. So that Zadina Redemption Tour is off to a slow start. It's not even off to a start. Just a delayed start. It's putting gas in the bus right now. <laughs> Some way to kick off the season. <laughs> Player to watch, Philip Zadina from the press box. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. Oh, well, that'll be we, good we, we said player to watch. What we should have said was player is watching. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, we should have known. We should have known the moment we made like the the jokes in the bed about like the the shirt with like the death metal font, like the Dita Redemption Tour and all that. We talked about how great he looked. It's like we should have known that he'd kick off the year in the press box. We'll talk about it in a, in a few minutes here. It's no big deal, but a little bit. It's pretty funny. I thought we were past this. Pa- oh yeah. Well, well, we'll get there. All right. Last episode before Red Wings hockey is officially back. And this may be poised to be the most uh, the most exciting Red Wings season. I was going to say most successful, but I don't want to put any curses on anything. The most exciting, nah, interesting season, seasons the Red Wings have had since we started this podcast. Starts tomorrow. We're all going to be there. Are you excited to get back to the LCA? Um, I'm one of those people who don't get excited for things what? until like you're at the airport. Like, you oh, know, okay. when you go, you're like, Catherine will always be like, oh, are you excited? I'm so excited for the trip. And I'll be like, yeah, like, yeah, me too. She'll be like, you're such a buzzkill. But I get excited once I'm at the airport and doing the thing. So once we start walking around and getting our pregame drinks and food and all that stuff, then it will start to kick in for me. I was so ready to make fun of you because obviously you're never excited about anything in your life. That's very true. But I'm much the same way. I just don't think about it. You just have too much to do. And then it's not until you're... Yeah, sitting there at your Once date. I'm in the moment. Yeah. Folks, welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Excited to be bringing you this episode right before the Red Wing season kicks off. I am one of your hosts, Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan. On this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast, we have a uh, a little bit of a uh, a mix-up of interviews and, and topics to, to bring up. So first, we have a guest spot from good friend of the show, our resident stats expert, Prashant Thayer. Uh, where we're going to be taking a look at the season ahead and uh, making some exciting announcements about Wings Money on the Board. Uh, then we're going to chat about the announcement of the Red Wings home opener lineup. Uh, some notable omissions, Pew Suter and Philip Zadina are going to be in the press box. And then we are going to be uh, chatting uh, with Max Boltman in another interview where, again, we take a look at the Red Wings season ahead as a kind of de facto continuation from our Red Wings season preview last episode. And then very quickly, we're going to be doing our Atlantic Division preview and predictions before jumping into overtime. Before that, I want to let everyone know that Winged Wheel Podcast Night at the LCA is on October 29th. That's a Saturday. It is an event that we run in partnership with the Detroit Red Wings. It will feature a live recording of the Winged Wheel Podcast from Hockey Town Cafe, uh, which is a bigger uh, space for to accommodate all of you who are coming out. Uh, it will feature Ken Daniels and Mickey Redmond. It will feature a meet and greet with the hosts and the special guests, giveaways, merch, prizes. Maybe there's going to be a flannel there to throw away. Maybe I held some back. Who knows? Uh, the tickets are available online now, DetroitRedWings.com slash WWP. Uh, they are discounted. You get a special Winged Wheel podcast discount and a portion of the proceeds benefits the Jamie Daniels Foundation. So that gets you tickets to the game. 
He gets you tickets to the event. Uh, it's a great time, and Evan will sign everything that you want him to. Okay, let's just jump right into it here. Uh, our guest spot with Prashanth Iyer. Uh, we recorded this uh, before the initial 23-man roster cut was announced, so uh, you'll you'll know a lot more information now than we did at the time of the interview, but it's still a really good look uh, at the Red Wing season ahead and an exciting announcement about Wings Money on the Board. So enjoy. Uh, folks, welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Uh, guest spot with one of our uh, favorite recurring interviews and a good friend of the show, Prashanth Iyer. Prashanth, welcome back. Thank you again, as always. Uh, this time, um, appreciate the invite and uh, without having to be bribed to bring my child on as well. I mean, we were kind of hoping for it. I was hoping to play it a little cool, but now knowing that he won't be here, I will be uh, exp- asking you more explicitly next time. You're not really the That's draw fine. anymore. It's fine. Yeah, I figured as much. Uh, let's talk about what we do know. Simon Edvinson, um, I know there was a lot of conversation for good reason about how he did in the preseason and whether that warranted a spot, ultimately was sent down to Grand Rapids. Coach Derek Lalone said that he was looking for more consistency from Simon. What do you make of the decision to start him in the AHL and what would you want to see from Simon moving forward? Yeah, I mean, I think Lalone hit it right on the head. His talent is clearly obvious. You you watch him. He makes great reads. He he can move the puck up the ice. He skates well. Um, but what you're looking for, and I think what was missing, is some of the defensive zone awareness issues. You know, sometimes he was losing his man on the cycle um, that led to to scoring chances. And then offensively, I'd like to see him pick his spots a little better when he wants to be aggressive and pinch to to support the play and when he wants to try and chip in and step step into the rush. I think those are the probably three big areas where there was some inconsistency in his play throughout the preseason that sometimes led to rushes against, to chances against. Uh, there's no denying. He's a very talented hockey player, and he's clearly a guy that you're going to want uh, playing big minutes for you and will be playing big minutes for you in the very near future. I think just at this point, you know, he may benefit a little bit from from refining that decision-making and potentially getting a little bit of confidence down in Grand Rapids you know, it doesn't even have to be a long stint. It can be a five-game, ten-game stint, find some confidence, get himself on the score sheet, and, and that may be all he needs to, to crack the big team. One player that was sent down, I, I really, truly believe, is just a victim of circumstance, which is you know, maybe previous years or previous versions of the Red Wings, he would have made it up. But Jonathan Bergeron was sent down after what I thought was an impressive um, preseason and training camp. Then you look at who's in front of him, you know, Bertuzzi, Raymond, Perron, Verana, Soderblom now, Kublik, Zadina. Uh, there's a, a wealth of guys who are going to play on the wing ahead of him probably. Do you think it's long before we see Bergeron in the NHL? And would you call him the first forward call-up? Yeah, I, I think you're exactly right. I don't think in, in usual years he would have been sent down. In fact, it reminded me a little bit of when Gus Nyquist was sent down back in 2013, where you're like, this guy's got all the talent in the world, but it's a victim of circumstance right now where we just don't have enough winger spots. And sure enough, when Nyquist finally cracks the the roster, he goes and has a ridiculous season. I don't know that you'll necessarily see uh, 28 goals in 57 games kind of season from from Bergeron, but he's he's the guy that I think should be that first 
call up if and when you have a winger injury or someone not playing all that well and you're looking for an offensive spark because his talent is undeniable. He's more than just a perimeter player, as was initially advertised. He gets the puck to the dangerous areas. He's got great touch, great feel, great vision, everything you really want, you know, in a guy that uh, can drive offense for you. And I don't think uh, his defensive deficiencies were ever really exploited or even noticeable, um, you know, to a, to a large extent. So I think he should be the first call up. I think in normal years he would have been here. I think it's both a good and bad problem that you have a guy of his caliber not be able to make it. Um, but as you know, going back to the first point I made at the start of the show, there's just so many injuries that are going to happen over the course of the season that you will inevitably see him this year. Elmer Soderblom's been unexpectedly the storyline of the Red Wings preseason, uh, aside from being massive. Uh, we've known how uniquely talented he was uh, coming into into camp, but his performance has just blown people away. What do you make of Elmer Soderblom, and, and do you think he's going to stick in the NHL at some point this year? Man, I mean, you know, everybody talked about how good he was for his size over the past year, and we saw a lot of that in the goal scoring in the SHL. It's even better than that. Uh, you know, it's not just he's a good skater for his size or he's a good he's got good hands for his size. He's got great hands. He's got great awareness with the puck. He has great patience with the puck. I mean, the the backhand goal that he scores coming out of the corner, you know, that that that's a finesse play being made by a guy that has the reach of Zdeno Chara, and that's not fair for for NHL defensemen to have to deal with. So it's it's really clear that his skill set is way beyond the typical guy that is six foot eight, six foot nine, um, and and I think it's going to be tough to keep him out of the lineup. I don't think his upside is all that high. Like I'm not saying that you're going to walk in and expect this guy to eventually be a 25 goal, 60 point player for you. I don't think he has that kind of upside, but I think he is the kind of guy that could slot in on the third line. Uh, at wing and be a very difficult player to play against can be a very difficult guy to deal with on the power play. Um, you know, almost, I don't want to necessarily pigeonhole him into this, but if you're thinking of, of comparables in terms of the, the role that he would be playing, it's almost like what Dan Cleary uh, gave the Red Wings for a really long time from second and third line roles while also being able to play on the power play, a guy that could chip in maybe 20 goals and 40 points and be, a very effective hockey player. And so that's what I think the upside is with Elmer Soderblom and, and because everything's better than advertised. It's just, will he stick initially versus will he come up during the year? I think that remains to be seen. I think it all comes down to if Lalonde wants to carry 14 forwards to start the season versus eight defensemen. I think maybe it is 14 forwards, but, uh, and, and if it is, maybe he does crack the roster with Giovanni Smith and, and, you know, somebody else being an extra but we'll see. No way to know, but I think he's I think he's definitely a guy who's going to stick in the NHL at some point. All right, rather than seeding the conversation myself, uh talk to me a little bit about the forwards that you thought were the most notable, either most impressive or or on the opposite end of the spectrum uh for the Red Wings because again, there are decisions to be made by Lalone and his staff and uh there there are going to be some players on the outs. So who did he notice the most and uh who do you think are I don't know, expendable might not be the right word, but maybe not for the Red Wings opening night roster, in your opinion. Yeah, I mean, I'll start with the guys first that are fighting for those roster spots and the two guys that really 
or I should say three guys that really stood out to me were Adam Ernie, Philip Zadina, and Joe Valeno. Um, you know, Adam Ernie, starting with him, I mean, he obviously scored a whole lot, but it was more than that. I think when he played, it looked a little bit more reminiscent of 2021 uh, Adam Ernie as opposed to 21-22 Ernie, which was much more passive with the puck, didn't really know when to pick his spots, always seemed out of position. He looked much, much better. And again, the, the, the caveat here, we're talking about preseason hockey where most teams are not icing their best players and not all of them are even playing at uh, full intensity. But I thought he looked really, really noticeable both with and without the puck. Philip Zadina, same thing. You know, his confidence with the puck was much higher than really at any point I've seen in his career. He was making great plays with the puck, was using his body to protect the puck a much better um, than in previous seasons. And that allowed him to be much more effective with his playmaking. I thought he had a tremendous preseason. And then Joe Valeno, you know, the, the, the book on him coming in was he had that speed, the offensive awareness and IQ. And I think we finally saw him utilize his speed in an effective fashion. Uh, it wasn't just going wide, blowing wide, and then getting himself into, you know, low percentage areas. It was using changes of speed and using different, uh, you know, picking his spots when accelerating with and without the puck, I thought was really, really impressive from him, even though he was a little behind the eight ball, not getting to start the preseason initially. So those three guys I thought were very, very impressive in that bucket. And then in the bucket of guys that we know are going to be in the NHL, you know, what more can you say about the Red Wings top line? Larkin, Raymond Bertuzzi, all were fantastic. Bertuzzi in just a couple of games showed why he's still going to be a premier winger in this in this league. And if the Red Wings decide that he's a part of the future, you know, he's a guy that you want to get locked up long term as soon as possible. And then same thing, both Larkin and Raymond were, I thought, were just absolutely dynamite with the puck on their stick and the way they control possession. So those are probably the six forwards that stood out the most to me. Um, aside from the guys we've already talked about. All right, that's enough about, you know, preseason training camp and, and opening night. Let's talk about this season as a whole. You know, for the Red Wings season preview, what are your expectations for this team? Coming into the season, it's a it's a wildly changed roster. What are what success look like to you for the Red Wings and what are you personally expecting? Yeah, I mean, this is, you know, Number one, you are always going to get unfiltered, uncensored, blunt takes from me. That's just what I'm never going to sugarcoat anything for you to make you feel better about it. So I will that I will be that person. I will be your villain, hockey Twitter. I see where your son gets you can it come from. Find me. Exactly. I mean, it's just it's, it's it's blunt. It's honest. That's that's where it's going to be. No, but I think I think for me, what really stands out about this team is if you go through and you look at all the different models that have generated predictions for the Red Wings. Um, the predictions seem to range somewhere from 83 to 89 points, which uh, is reasonable. But what actually stood out to me is almost uniformly in each of the models, the highest degree of uncertainty for any team was the Red Wings. That was the case in, in, in Micah's model. That was the case in the evolving hockey model. That's just the team that's got the widest range of outcomes possible. And I think that makes sense. We have no idea what it looks like when you bring in five new NHL players to this team, you introduce a new head coach, and you have to think about what second-year performance looks like for Moritz Sider and Lucas Raymond, and you have to think about what a goaltending tandem looks like when the two goalies combined have less than you know, 150 career starts. There's a lot of unknowns to this team, and therefore I think a, a lot of outcomes are possible. I would not be shocked if... 
you know, you saw 34-year-old David Perron struggle to adapt. You potentially have an injury to one of your big names, whether it's Tyler Bertuzzi, Lucas Raymond, Dylan Larkin, Jacob Verano, like has plagued the team in the past years. And this team finishes with 75 points. I wouldn't be shocked. At the same time, I wouldn't be shocked if this team can find a way to stay healthy. You have a big second year from Moritz Sider. You have a big second year from Lucas Raymond. And you do get good youthful support um, from Michael Rasmussen, Philip Zadina, Joe Valeno down in that bottom six. And this team finishes with 90 points. I don't think either of those outcomes are any more unrealistic than the other. So what does success look like? I think success, again, just looks like, again, like we've said in years past, the right guys taking right steps forward. It's Moritz Sider not having a sophomore slump. It's Lucas Raymond not having a sophomore slump. It's getting progression from Philip Zadina so you know what to do with him, getting progression from Michael Rasmussen so you know what to do with him, and then getting some semblance of consistency from your goaltending. You're going to have decisions to make about Alex Nedeljkovic. Um, is he going to be a guy that's going to stick around, or is it going to be Vili Huso's net by the end by next year? There's a lot that you have to see there, but progress to me is seeing those guys take the right steps forward, regardless of where this team actually finishes from a point standpoint. Oh, you went into my next question there, which is obviously there's so many different players you can key in on for good reasons, but if you could pick just one or two guys that you think you're going to watch with a very keen eye. Uh, whether it's 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 who you already mentioned or someone else who needs to be, I, I don't even want to say needs to have a great season. Who are you going to be watching most intently and why? So the probably the three guys I'm going to watch most intently is one, Vili Huso. You know, a lot of people are really excited. A lot of the models are really excited because of his performance in St. Louis. But we are talking about a goalie that has 53 career starts. This is really important. You know, we, we know goalie variance exists and, and we have to be cautiously optimistic here that his skill set will translate to a new system playing behind a weaker defense than what he had in St. Louis and, and that he can continue to be that caliber of goaltender. So he's the first guy I'm watching. I want to make sure that he really is the goalie of the future uh, for Detroit while we wait on Sebastian Cosa. The second player I'm going to watch is Philip Hironik. For the last couple of years, we've really chalked it up to Hironik has had more on his shoulders than really he could bear, and he would look better in a lower role um, and, and potentially less responsibilities. And then last year, Moritz Sider comes in, takes away those 1D responsibilities, takes away the top you know, PK unit, power play unit, and we still didn't see substantial strides forward from Philip Hironik. Now, a lot of that is due to the injury concerns the Red Wings had on defense last year, playing with a multitude of different partners, playing with really guys that probably weren't as talented as could be. But now you've got a decent top four with Ben Sherratt and Mo Sider and Ole Mata and, and Philip Hironik. And so he's a guy that needs to take another step forward. And he, if it doesn't happen, then he's potentially a guy that's not a part of your future. Um, so, so that's really the, the big one for me. And then up front, the guy that I really want to pay attention to is Andrew Kopp. So Andrew Kopp got a nice big contract this offseason. It was very handsomely rewarded. But his, his career highs are a little make me a little nervous about how he ages and what the production looks like over the length of the contract. 
it likely won't be any sort of problem with particularly with the cap going up so much in the next few years to where this is like what we had with Franz Nielsen. But if you functionally look at the stats between Franz Nielsen and Andrew Kopp prior to signing in Detroit, they're not all that different. And Franz Nielsen does not play as physical of a game as, as Andrew Kopp. So my concern is, can Kopp really be the guy that shoulders those second center responsibilities? Uh, can he be the guy that elevates that team? Because really, we are, we're, we're working off of one big year that he jumped off. So that's the other question mark that I'm, I'm, I'm keying in on here. So really, it's three guys that I think are going to hold the key uh, to the Red Wings season. And it's not maybe the three guys you would think about first. So something that we talk about quite a bit in our group chat actually is you know, what systems the Red Wings are running. So, I mean, the conversation has been a little bit stale and repetitive maybe over the past couple of years, but, you know, a big focus and actually people should read about this. Max Baltman wrote an article about the PK for the Athletic Detroit, but um, systems are changing in Detroit because Derek Lalone and his staff are here. What are you going to be looking for from Derek Lalone? Is it going to be something system specific? Is it going to be something so simple as how do you handle uh, goalie uh, staffing, so to speak, who who's in net? Are you going to ride the hot hand? Uh, what do you want to see from Derek Lalone where you can come in at the end of the year and say, yeah, this has been a positive year for the coach? Or is that purely tied to the standings number? I don't think it should be tied to standings at all for a first-year coach. I think in, in this case, really improvement for me will be improvement in the special teams department. I think for the last three years, Special teams has been the undoing for the Red Wings. Their power play has been atrocious. Their penalty kill has been atrocious. And we're not talking about atrocious just by a year-to-year variation. We're talking about atrocious by, like, historic variation. So that that has to get better. And obviously one area that we've talked about a lot has been this penalty kill is way too passive. They offer way too many passing lanes. They offer, you know, so much time to the opposition that it's very easy for the opposition to find the play that they want, execute, and score. And it makes your goalie's life hell, and it derails their confidence, and it makes it very difficult for them to stay in the game. And so now he's brought this aggressive penalty kill in. We're even seeing changes in the personnel. You know, you saw Dylan Larkin and Lucas Raymond out there. You saw Philip Zadina out there on the penalty kill. And, you know, the old adage has been, well, if you put those star guys out there, and they, you don't want those guys blocking shots. You don't have to block shots if they have the puck. And if they can take the puck away and generate scoring chances, then that works in your favor. And anytime the puck's not in your defensive zone because those guys have the ability to get it and then play keep away with it, you're not at risk for being scored on. And we saw this for years. That's what the Red Wings did. Steve Eiserman killed penalties. Sergei Fedorov killed penalties. Brendan Shanahan killed penalties. Pavel Datsu killed penalties. Killed penalties. You know, him and Marion Hoster were one of the most ferocious tandems we've ever had on the penalty kill. Henrik Zetterberg killed penalties. So, you know, that that's what you want to see. And, and he's really bringing some of that modernization there. So for me, the number one thing I got to see get better is special teams, because that's easily the difference between another 10 points for this team over the last couple of years. All right. So that is a little sneak peek into a uh, Prashanth Iyer Red Wing season preview, but we're not done yet. Uh, Prashanth, in part of our Wings Money on the Board campaign, which folks you'll hear details about that on the main episode, uh, you've drummed up a brilliant idea, uh, one of a couple uh, ideas that we've teased to listeners for the last little while. One of those will, re- will remain a secret still, but for now, why don't we talk to them about, um, what are we calling it? Winged wheel squares, hockey town squares, some kind of squares. Name to be determined. 
Yeah. However, you know, for those of you that have uh, watched the Super Bowl and attended a Super Bowl party, uh, you've probably at some point played Super Bowl squares. And for those of you not familiar, we have a whole explainer written up, um, but I'll also briefly explain how it works. So essentially, it's a grid where on, you know, in the first column, you have numbers that represent the first digit. And then across the top, you have numbers that represent the second digit. And what we're going to do is we're going to put this grid up and you have the opportunity for every dollar you donate to buy a square. Unlike Super Bowl squares, where only one person can buy a square, multiple people can buy the same square and the same person can put multiple dollars on the square to increase their uh, entries. Every dollar placed on a square will result in you getting one entry at that standings point. You may, if you want to say, let's say, spend $5 and pick five different squares to increase your odds of having an entry, great. If you want to pay $5 and put all $5 on 84 points because you're really confident, great. You'll get five entries at 84 points if the Red Wings finish with that. At the end of the year, what we will do is we will notify everybody who's made a donation for the winning number, and they will be entered into a drawing for a grand prize to be announced. And again, every dollar you put on that particular square is an entry in that scenario. So if you think you can correctly guess and put five entries in, 10 entries in, 20 entries in, uh, go for it. And that way that you'll increase your odds of winning that grand prize if you're, if you're right at the end of the year. And so what we'll ask you to do is shortly after this episode releases, we'll have a Google form going out where you can fill out your predictions and, and fill out your amounts. And then once you've made your donation to the Jamie Daniels Foundation, uh, please go ahead and email uh, proof of that donation to wingwheelpodcast at gmail.com so that we can make note of everybody that is doing it. It's going to be a great way. So Wings Money on the Board is growing and changing shape, and there's so many ways to participate with the you know regular pledges, the one-off events that were that will still be coming. Now uh, this our own version of Super Bowl Squares, and we have one other uh, fun kind of way to participate and raise money for the Jamie Daniels Foundation coming. So we're hoping to reach that goal of fifty thousand dollars. More to come on that. All right, Prashanth, thank you so much for jumping on the show. Uh, until we have you back next time, hopefully it's with your son. Prashanth, take care. Yep. Thanks, Ryan. All right. And that was our chat with Prashanth Iyer. We're excited to uh, see those submissions for winged wheel squares is what we're going to name it. So get those in. It's a fun little uh, twist on Super Bowl squares and a good way to predict where the Red Wings are going to finish in the standings. So I think, uh, I think Brad, you had uh, the highest prediction of all of us. Evan and I were clustered in the 83, 84, 85 range. So we're going to have to be battling each other out and Brad, you might be, your optimism may pay off there if you participate. Okay, let's chat. Are you new here? Me? Yeah. Every day, man. I just wipe my memory. <laughs> you guys, it's like memento. <laughs> Pretty much. I just write little notes to myself about who everyone is. That, that actually would be more enjoyable, so I, I'm not going to spoil it for you. Thank you. I am a big sticky notes person, and I like to write them and never look at them again. Yeah, me too. Mm. Okay, let's talk about uh, the Red Wings lineup. It was announced today by Derek Lalone that the lines that we've been seeing in practice are the lines that we're going to see for the home opener tomorrow night. So maybe by the time you've listened to this, the Red Wings have already played a game. But as of right now, we know for certain, barring any pregame injuries or anything happening, the starting lineup for the Red Wings is set. Bertuzzi, Larkin, Raymond, 
Veronica Perron, Soderblom, Rasmussen, Sunquist, and then the uh, fourth line will be Kublik, Valeno, Ernie. On defense is going to be Sherat Sider, Mata Hronik, Hag Lindstrom. None of that's a surprise. What is a surprise to some people is Zadina Suter sitting. Philip Zadina, who has played his best hockey probably in a long time, is not going to be uh, putting on a jersey for the home opener. Uh, Pew Suter, who you know didn't light the world on fire, but at points last season, for a lot of last season, was Detroit's second-line center, isn't going to be dressed for the home opener. This is a big departure from where we were last year. So there's a few things to draw here. Obviously, that means Soderblom is actually playing. The fear of him being sent to Grand Rapids before he even saw you know, Red Wings ice time, that's gone. And that's great news in my mind. But let's talk about the, the foremost topic here that people are, are kind of on one side or the other of Philip Zadina after presumably playing well, not in the roster. Yeah, so I'll... I'll take the optimistic points first. One, it's a new coach, new team, a lot of new players. I expect there's going to be a lot of juggling in the first few weeks as now that mostly everybody's healthy and and the games actually matter and you get a look at these guys in game situation, he'll get a clearer picture over the next, you know, few weeks of you know, who's who's sinking and who's swimming and that press box will probably see a lot of you know, different guys over the next little bit. Um and then when it comes to like the actual ins and outs, the Red Wings are at the point now, and we talked about this. There's nobody in the Red Wings lineup who doesn't deserve to be in the Red Wings lineup. Now, that doesn't mean Suter and Zadina also don't deserve it. This is, you know, what good teams have to deal with. You're not healthy scratching, you know, whoever the hell happens to be there. You have 14, well, if you want to count some of the guys in Grand Rapids, you have 15 or 16 capable NHL forwards. They can't all play. That's just the reality. It's a good problem to have. If you're just constantly throwing Dan Cleary and, uh, and you know some AHL call up in the press box every night, well, you probably don't have a good team. So this is the reality of what we have to deal with. Every single night, there's going to be a guy in the press box that we're all going to sit here and say, that guy shouldn't be in the press box. That's the new world. Barring injuries, we're going to do that every night. And is this what like Leafs and Lightning fans have been doing for the past five years? No, because they run out of cap room, so they just they can <laughs> only carry twenty guys. On the waiver wire. They have a guy who's they have like four different guys whose nicknames have been Soup in the press box for the yeah. last five years. Yeah. So that all being said, I would not have Zadina or Suter in the press box. I don't agree with the decision at all. Uh, I don't agree with it for Suter just because again he was your second line center for a bulk of last season. He asked to lift way more weight than he probably should have, and he didn't admirable job of it and you know um was there other better candidates to sit yeah probably uh and with Zadina I strongly disagree with it not only on the sense that he earned it at least from what I saw now Lalonde you know to his credit didn't beat around the bush when he was explaining why he said very matter-of-factly yeah there's areas away from the puck we don't like what he's doing he's you know got to get it together whatever however he phrased it which you know uh, appreciate the transparency. Uh, I didn't see that uh, when I was watching him in preseason. I I did not see any glaring issues away from the puck. Um, again, it's one idiot's opinion, so it doesn't hold much water. But, mo- three idiots but he's here. our idiot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but 
Was Zadina especially a player we have just seen absolutely live and die by his confidence? Not a good start. This, like, he is almost the one guy. If you want to jumpstart, you can't do this. They, Blashill tried the same thing with Zadina. Spoiler, it didn't work. It just, it made the problem worse because he gets even more in his own head. And, you know, I jokingly said, hey, was that uh, missed empty net against Toronto, uh, his kiss of death for the season? I was only joking. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, it's, but not really. Um, I think it's still, I, I think that's very firmly still in like, nobody's thinking about that right now. No, I, I, I know. But yeah, it's, it's curious. It's very, very curious. Like, we've talked about it in different circumstances. Um, you know, the punk test, more so that has to do with the other team trying to punk uh, the Red Wings. I wonder if this is in some variation of this with Lalonde. All right, I've heard this guy is pretty mentally fragile coming in here. We can't have that on a winning team. We're going to put the gears to him day one and see how it goes. I, I'm going to pull back on that. I mean, I wouldn't do that, and I wouldn't agree with that. Theory. I don't really get that vibe from. But from I don't either. either. I, let me let me preface this what I'm about to say with the like a very obvious fact here. I, I wouldn't have made this decision, not personally. This the call I would have made. Uh, I would have rather have seen Zadina Zadina in the lineup based on what we saw from him. Was he perfect? No. Was he better than he has been in a long time? I think yeah. I, I would argue really strongly about that. But what I think is that Derek Malone is coming in clean slate. He knows he doesn't know Zadina. He's he's giving Zadina an opportunity. Any relationship issues or otherwise with Blashill, gone. Any history with this team, gone. He has a new contract. This is a new opportunity. I think it's as simple as, like what you said, Brad, there's a lot of really good players on this team. There are very few of these players. Like People are going to say, oh, Adam Ernie. Adam Ernie had a great preseason. There, there's very few players on this team that don't deserve that spot. And this is just Derek Lalone saying, hey, you're young. You're really talented. I need you to do better because I know you can be better. Are Sunquist and Ernie going to make a bigger impact than Zadina long-term in the NHL? You'd hope the answer is no. And in terms of potential, the answer is no. But to get Zadina there, I think Derek Lalone just wants to extract the most from him. So he has his way of handling players. And if he's been this honest with the media, you can only imagine how honest he's been with Zadina. And from the reports we've received from Max and Daniela and everyone else, it looks like Zadina has a really good attitude about it. Like he's he's laying out the body for to block shots in practice. He's fighting hard. He's he's he took the news well. And quite honestly, like they have a back to back to start the season, Friday, Saturday games. I would I would not be surprised at all to see Zadina in that Saturday game. So if the Red Wings win, they're changing their lineup. Maybe. It, it, like one win isn't going to decide, right? Like this is a, a new coach getting to know a new team. Maybe they. I win. find it hard to believe an NHL coach would change their lineup if they've just won their for the the previous game. I think, I think this season is about the game within the game. I'm getting a little deep here. Like he knows there's a job to be done with Philip Zadina. He knows there's a job to be done with Philip Ronick, and he knows there's a job to be done with players like uh, Sider and Raymond, where they need to take their next step. So this is a team that. Uh, barring any big surprises, isn't going to be like a bonafide playoff competitor. They have to focus on those other kind of developmental paths so that when they get to being a playoff competitive team, they're ready. 
Does that make sense? Or did I just go 14 miles? Yeah. yeah you feel yeah. like me right now. You're fighting through it. You're putting the track down as you cross it. You're you're pulling a me right now. It's 10 o'clock, man. Yeah, that's my job. Yeah. I just hope that this standard is being set universally across the board. So if there's other people who are not playing well away from the puck, that they're held to the same standard, whether they play on the first line or the or the 14th forward. So that it will be remains to be seen. And Honestly, for me, when it comes down to it, for a home opener, you want to win. It doesn't matter about a 10-game period. I think Philip Zadina makes the team better in the lineup and pull out someone in the roster. It doesn't We all kind of know who we're alluding to. Um, I don't see how they make make this team better than Philip Zadina does. I just... I, from a high level perspective, I just don't I don't see it. If this is like a barrier to entry where they're like, hey, the veteran gets a spot until you prove that you can unlock, you know, what we what we know you to be able to do, I'm totally fine with it. If this is like some kind of uneven treatment and yeah, this guy's behind the eight ball before he even starts, and at that point I'm gonna start to be concerned. I just don't get that vibe from the loan at all. Like with how refreshingly transparent he's been through the entire process. It's a home opener lineup. Like, yeah, you want to be there. And yeah, it's definitely meaningful. I don't want to portray it as not meaningful, but I can't disagree with what either of you have said. I'm just like, well, let's see where we're at in like two weeks, right? Yeah, it's a very small sample size at this point, but I, it it's not what we expected no, at all today, but it certainly got social media going. We didn't print the shirts. And one last thing here before we start talking about Elmer Soderblom. Barring Robbie Fabry, this is an incredibly healthy team coming out of preseason, which isn't always the case. And they also added a like a ton of NHL-ready players, NHL-capable top six or middle six players. Like this is a full, this is a roster that's full to the brim. So usually by now something has shaken out, or usually by now some six foot eight monster from Sweden who was supposed to play in Grand Rapids didn't make the roster. Like there's a lot of stuff that happened that pushed these two guys out. So I think it's a, at the end of the day, it's a confluence of, yeah, they're probably looking for a little bit more from Zadina. And it's also that uh, their hand is kind of forced. And honestly, just to transition us here, it's, this is the least bad of two decisions. Cause I much prefer Soderblom playing opening night with the optics and the decision around that. Yeah, but that doesn't necessarily equal one-to-one Soderblom in Zadina out. And it shouldn't, because if that was, Lolo- that's not who I thought it would, like who would be his replacement or who he would slot in or out for Sunquist or Ernie. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Sunquist hasn't played yet because of injury and you know, Ernie had a great preseason not to take anything away from him, but we watched him struggle for near 82 games last year. We know who he is. We know what he is. Yeah. But same goes for Philip Zadina. And oh, but sorry, except for the second part, he did struggle for, from a lot of games. Yeah. Anyways, either way, who had the better season last year, Ernie or Zadina as bad as Zadina's was, the answer is still Zadina. Um, so yeah, it's it's probably a way simpler answer than we're giving it credit to, where Lalone just thought, okay, well, these twelve guys have been better lately. So be it. I want it, I want the team to play a certain way, and Zadina doesn't fit that bill right now. Every game, until someone proves us otherwise, two guys who shouldn't be sitting in the press box are gonna sit in the press box. So every time your favorite player, my favorite player, whoever it is gets scratched. 
It's not time to panic. It's not time to burn the house down. It's not time to scream fire Lalonde. Until there's injuries or trades or someone underperforms, this is the new normal. Congratulations. We're not one of the worst teams in the league anymore. <laughs> this is what this is what grown up, this is what good teams do. They have to make tough decisions. Let's talk about let's talk about Elmer Soderblom though. It's good to be past that fear of him kind of being assigned to Grand Rapids. I, I still think that'll happen at one, at some point or another. It's with the team this full, I mean, unless he continues his unreal play and, and kicks down the door and really affirms the fact that he's going to stay, uh, there, there's always that opportunity that he's going to go to Grand Rapids. But it's nice for optics and for the story and for the player that he's going to at least start in Detroit and get a look. On a third line, a colossal third line with Rasmussen and Sunquist. Um, but yet, the, the LCA is going to be able to see him play the home opener. Yeah, that line uh, from an optic standpoint is fun. I, I Again, if it was up to me, would that be the line? No, uh, just I, I don't think that line's going to thrive in the modern day NHL. Uh, when Michael Rasmussen is the best skater on the line, that's a bit of a problem. And I think they'll struggle in transition. But this, I think that line's interesting. Not because of Soderblom, because Rasmussen has to carry that line. Mm-hmm. He It's a test for him. Yeah, Lalonde is not holding back with Rasmussen, and I do like that. Because Soderblom, for all his strengths, is not going to be the, the driver of that line. Sunfist, we, we know what he is. He's definitely not the driver of that line. Soderblom's got the talent to make plays, to finish, to work off the cycle. But Rasmussen has to be the line driver, and he's doing it from center. So... This really is a sink or swim moment for Michael Rasmussen because if he goes out tomorrow and that line is terrible, that's probably going to be on him. So, you know, he's playing with a guy on his NHL debut and a guy coming off injury and he's the centerman. Good luck, bud. Yeah, it's <laughs> a big test. <laughs> but this line, the way it's built, there is a very obvious formula for how they could succeed. I mean... Sunquist is six foot three and comfortably the shortest player on that line. This is a line that should dominate off the cycle. And if they don't, you need to blow that line up immediately because they are not going to thrive in any other way. That's just the reality of it. Rasmussen and 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 Soderblom are good enough off the rush that every once in a while they'll be able to make it work. But it's not going to. I'd be shocked if that happened consistently. And then you know, in that case, is that line better off with? Valeno in between them because he can skate and he can do those things or Suter. You know, we might be sitting here uh, on our next episode talking about how Rasmussen was the one pulled out of the lineup for Saturday because it did go poorly. Or we could be talking about, okay, we might have something here. We talked about it last episode. If Rasmussen adds that element to his game and he can thrive at center, this is a fantastic development for the long-term projection of the Detroit Red Wings. And Tomorrow's only the first step of what's going to need to be hundreds of steps, but it's a very damn important first step. I personally feel like Suncoast will come out of the lineup and Zadina will go in. And I think that's a good change because I think Zadina brings very complementary skill set to that line. Not only could he be a trigger man, but he's got really good playmaking now and he could set up either of those two while they're they're playing off the cycle. I, I think that line would be much more intriguing than the line with Sunquest in it. I think the whole bottom six is interchangeable no matter who's in there. 
Uh, I agree with you. Depends on yeah, it all depends on the matchups and the sort of look you're trying to get out of your lines. He very much themed these lines, mm-hmm. e- even with the Ernie Valeno Kubalik line, and you know it's one of Ernie's underrated skills. But that is a line that should thrive off transition. It's one of Valeno's biggest strengths. Kubalik's good at it. He's quick and he can get a hell of a shot if he gets a lane on that transition. And man, we've seen Ernie have a bunch of rushes through the the neutral zone. That's not one of his weaknesses. So, yeah. you know, you've got the the bottom six line that should dominate the cycle, and you've got the other bottom six line that should be able to play fast. And that could create an interesting dynamic for Montreal's defense because they won't be able to defend uniformly. They're gonna have to adjust depending who's on the ice and that might be Lalone's thinking here again we're so early into this we haven't even played a second of regulation hockey yeah Yeah, it's fascinating because again even though we don't agree with the decisions you can see the the ways already in which he thinks differently than Blashill did he doesn't have that that grinded out all defense fourth line like every single line looks the same they just have different amounts of talent they don't play any format like tomorrow at the game if you can't tell which line is on the ice, these dedicated lines have not worked because they all are going to play completely different than one another. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was waiting for the Ernie Sunfist Rasmussen line to go, okay, well, uh, here ho- we are. <laughs> hope, hopefully their Corsi is over a 30% here, but uh, yeah. they, he didn't do that. He balanced them. Like we were wondering how that was going to shake out. And like I said, it's not the lineup I would have built, but it, it is certainly interesting. Top six, exactly as people expected. The defense, exactly as people expected. Bottom six, that's where all the experimenting is happening. And if you look at the Red Wings lineup, that makes sense. That's where the tough decisions are right now. Yeah, like we talked about it a bunch of episodes ago where it was like, if you literally just chopped every position, first best, second best, the first and second line was not hard to figure out who was going to shake out there if that's what Lalone decided to do that is exactly what he decided to do who's the best right winger Lucas Raymond who's the best center Dylan Larkin who's the best left winger Tyler Bertuzzi there's your first line who's the second back of the best of those guys Verana Cop Prawn there's your second line and then he gets creative with the bottom six all right there's uh there's gonna be a lot of movement is the story on this lineup so there's two games between now and our next episode on Sunday, Friday, the home opener against Montreal, 7 p.m. And then Saturday, they hit the road in New Jersey, 7 p.m. as well, Eastern time. And then uh, so that back to back to start the season, and we'll be back with you on uh, Sunday. Uh, first, I want to uh, let everyone know that this episode of the Winged Wheel podcast is proudly brought to you by NordVPN. Are you missing out on a game or your favorite show because it's not available in your region? Let me introduce NordVPN. Using NordVPN and a click of a button, you can watch and browse as if you're elsewhere in the world, making sure you never miss a game and can watch whatever content you'd like. No need to travel across the continent or oceans for your favorite team when NordVPN brings them right to you. With over 5,000 server options, no game or show is out of your reach. Using the link nordvpn.com slash wingedwheel, you can receive a huge discount on NordVPN's cybersecurity two-year plan, plus four free months. We all love to binge, but privacy is a big deal too. NordVPN keeps your information encrypted so you never have to worry about your IP or location getting out. They've also doubled down on keeping you safe with their new threat protection feature. Say goodbye to intrusive website ads and malware. Even if you download an infected file, threat protection kicks in and deletes it before it makes a mess of your computer. Don't forget, there's literally no risk to you with their 30-day money-back guarantee. 
Give it a try, and if you like it, great. If you don't, they'll issue a refund, and you can pretend the entire thing never happened. Check out our special link, nordvpn.com slash wingedwheel, to get your subscription started today. For now, let's actually jump into an er interview with our good friend Max Boltman of The Athletic Detroit, where he uh, gives us uh, some perspective on the Red Wings' upcoming season, some players to watch, uh, storylines coming into the year, a little bit about special teams with the penalty kill, and... uh, everything else. So always good to have Max back on the show. Enjoy that interview. Max, the season's here. Are you ready mentally, physically? No, not (laughs) even slightly. (laughs) Who goes tailgating in Buffalo right before the grind starts? Someone who knows they're not going to have another free weekend (laughs) for whatever it is. Yeah, this this team's 30 be, weeks, 30 weeks or something like that. Yeah, the team's going to be better longer into the season. So your grace period, your summers are shrinking. Yeah, not wild about that, but we'll see. We'll see how that goes. <laughs> it's for a good reason, folks uh, with me today, as you'll know, uh, Max Boltman from the Athletic Detroit, uh, who we declare is the best pound for pound for pound uh, NHL beat writer. There is Max. Welcome back to the show. And uh, thanks for chatting with us about the upcoming Red Wing season. Well, that means a lot because I've got a lot of pounds on me. So thank you very much. (laughs) Who among us, man? So we just finished our season preview episode where we talked about as much as we could cram in there, but there's still so much to cover uh, for the Red Wings uh, in this upcoming season. The major storylines, though, Soderblom, Edvinson, uh, you know, the cuts that were made. What has stood out to you? in the preseason and training camp process. And uh, what do you make of the, uh, the big storylines from the 23 men roster? So uh, obviously the big surprise relative to, I think pre Traverse city would be Soderblom making it. Um, that certainly is, is a, is a good source of intrigue. I'm really excited to see what he does. He's obviously a guy who all of us have been following uh, from afar here for, for a long time. And uh, it's pretty cool to see him, uh, seemingly make that jump right away. I mean, I guess we still have a few days here. We're recording this before the opener. Uh, some things that could change. Is it is it wrong to say I was a little bored by the like the whole preseason saga and it, kind of the end result ending up more or less where you could have said it, it would on July sixteenth or something like that? You know? Yeah. It, it, Brad, I think put it really well. They didn't galaxy brain anything. Like Valeno made yeah. it. Soderblom was the the thing, but, you know, Edvinson went down, probably what's right for him. Valeno made it, of course, as he deserves. Nothing really stood out in the end result. There's a lot of, like, interesting things that could have happened, but what transpired was pretty standard. I I was picking Edvinson the whole way, like, right up until Sunday. Uh, Like, in fact, I think probably even after the cuts came out, because I didn't see him for, like, a half hour until you told told me in our group chat, like, buddy, did you see this? Uh I was still picking him to make the roster. I, I thought, you know, I, I, I did see what everyone else saw in terms of the, the ups and downs in, in the preseason. But I think for me watching it, with the exception of that road game at Washington, I think it was a general positive trend line for him. And I just thought they would keep giving him chances to keep, you know, he seemed to be showing that he was capable of improving in the NHL. And so I thought that he would get that chance. I, I wonder, I wonder how many NHL games he gets this year. I, I don't think. Obviously, they're not starting him there. You know, I'm not saying I don't think we're going to see him like a week from now or whatever, but um, I, I expect to see him at some point in Detroit this year. Um, that would be kind of one of my other big surprises. But yeah, like, like you said, I don't think they galaxy brained a whole lot. Um, I'm still curious what will happen with Valeno here. Valeno and Suter is kind of the most interesting kind of lingering thing. Maybe some talk 
um, at, at Lalone's press conference on Monday about like, could they bring Giovanni Smith back up if someone, you know, to be the 13th? They don't want Joe Valano to be the 13th or 14th forward. So if he is not in the lineup, I don't think you'll see him in Detroit. You know, maybe, maybe there's a, a scratch here or there, but, uh, in, in terms of long stretches of time. So there's still, I guess, a couple unresolved things, but I, I'm just ready for games to start, man, because I, I, I don't think that we saw, uh, a whole lot in the preseason that could tell you a whole lot about this year's Red Wings. It, 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 all the storylines seem to just be about a few young guys. Will they, won't they make it? And that was it. Yeah. Like we were, we were talking about, you know, in the group chat, there's, there's only so much that you can suss out from preseason because the David Prawns of the world aren't going balls to the wall. Like th- right. this isn't NHL hockey as it is. So, you know, we haven't seen Soderblom with a full NHL test. We think we can, he can stand up to it physically, but can he, once he has, you know, Alex Ovechkin barreling down on him. Who knows? So yeah, once game starts, game start, that's going to be, it'll be a good measure of Soderblom. It'll be a good measure of Valeno and Zadina. How are Larkin and Bertuzzi going to do in contract years? All of it. Totally. And and I, I think those storylines are still very much there. I, you know, kind of put those a little back of mind. I, I did write, you know, about Larkin in the context of the Barzal extension, but those are going to be storylines all year that I am sure you're uh, as not looking forward to as I am, uh, and, and how they'll play as as it uh, how they'll play out, I should say, as it goes. But yeah, I just want the goals to matter, like you know, especially like the you know early early in the preseason, you'll see a, a veteran score. Right? Bertuzzi, I think, scored a couple times in that preseason game against Toronto. And in a normal regular season game, it's like okay, good. Like there, here's some storylines building. Like there's some good stuff to, to get at here and. Uh, in a preseason game, you're like, yeah, you should. You're playing the Marlies at best, yeah. <laughs> you know. So it's, yeah. you know, it's it's just there's sleepy games up there. So coming into the year, you we talked a little bit about Edvinson. Do you think he he makes it in for like a nine game showcase, or do you think he there's a chance that he does enough in Grand Rapids, you know, a la Bergeron last year, where they had him really focus on things, where he could crack the lineup if and when injuries come to that defensive core. I, I like. Like I said, I, I think he, it wouldn't have surprised me if he had made it like for Friday. So I, yeah, I think he plays more than 10. I think he plays a lot. I don't know if it's like more than 40 at this point, if they're going to start him down there, but like, I don't think he's that far off. And I, I, you know, I've kind of maybe been aggressive on timeline for him, even relative to like what I know are kind of the, um, you know, a lot of the top prospects take two years, not all of them. Owen Power did one year post draft, although he was a late birthday. So he's, you know, a little older. Um, but you know, Sanderson took two, McCarr took two, Cider took two. I, I know that, but I also feel like there's a lot in Edvinson's game that he can do right now. And I, I think what they're hoping for is that sometime in the AHL, he'd just be able to do even more. But to me, like what we saw in the preseason, I don't, he doesn't look like a guy to me who can't develop on the fly in the NHL. And so, yeah, I think we see him more than that. Uh, I think we see him, uh, more than that, more than that 10 games. I mean, um, but you know, I, I guess we'll see how it goes early on and, um, you know what like you like you said like what the injury needs uh call for so on the is edvinson ready for the nhl uh question we now have a brad to max continuum yeah. spectrum <laughs> well i know right that, that, that's what we were that's what we were joking about in the the chat i mean it was during the washington game i know that was his 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 toughest game for sure but like i'm certainly on the i would be a yes vote like if you ask me put him in don't put him in i think i'd say yes just because i think he can I'm not saying he's like flawless or anything. Like I saw the flaws too. Like there was a, there was a play, I forget which game it was. It might've been that Washington game where he had this like great rush, great entry, and then blind drop pass turnover. So it's like, it's, it's the good and the bad on the exact same play. Um, but to me, it's just like, I, I think you can 
trim that bad much easier than you can make, you know, Osterley or Haig or whatever kind of do the things that he can do um, that, that he already does. The only thing, uh, here's the thing, I inherently agree with you that I think Edmondson could be on this roster in a sheltered manner. And as long as there's, you know, he and the team both know that he's going to make mistakes and that's part of the process. I think there's a way where, yeah, he can develop on the fly. The only thing that that kind of changes my perspective on whether or not that's the right decision is what does this team want to be doing this year? Like they don't want to be losing games because they know they're not a, a true playoff contender. And it's also Derek Lalonde's first season. So yeah, does a third pairing defenseman, is that going to move the needle on your games? No, it shouldn't really. Uh, but if the Red Wings are really prioritizing kind of hitting the ground running, getting out of the gate, firing uh, on all cylinders and being like a true fleshed out pro team, then I can see the decision making between starting him in Grand Rapids and then bringing him in once they're settled and the chemistry is sorted. I don't have a problem with starting him in Grand Rapids. Like I see the the logic in it. I think you know. I think he he is still adjusting to the the speed of the North American game. Although I I, I see the logic in it for sure. Um, and, and to your point, like today, Robert Haig and and Jordan Osterley too, for that matter, both will give you a a cleaner game than Simon Edvinson. Um, but. I also could see an argument where like does Edvinson help you win more than than those two guys at like the 10 game mark or whatever. Like like if once he once he's got 10 games under him like yeah he's probably going to make some mistakes but like the the mobility the transition ability to me it's just like there these are dimensions that you're not getting from the other guys and and for a team that say they want to play fast hey Simon Edvinson can help you do that. I, I I think you know there's some fair points to be made about Okay, sometimes it does it look a little too fast for him right now, but it didn't look like that like constantly to me. It looked like occasionally like that, and I, to me, it looked like it was improving in that regard the whole way. So, I don't know. I'm I'm also interested because I think, you know, I think the fan base was uh, pretty critical of, of of that stuff, and you know, they have high expectations uh, for him as they should for a sixth overall pick. But I do think it's interesting, going to be interesting to follow how people kind of perceive his style because it's not the same style as most cider he, he's no. not going to look like he's going 150 percent constantly um and i think that that's okay but we have seen in this city players who you know get really dinged for for not looking like they're going 110 all the time um i think he plays a more calculating game uh, in general and, and i get that if you're gonna if you're gonna say that then you can't have some of the mistakes that he's had um, so that's fair, fair. But, uh, to me, I, I think he's going to be a more like poised defenseman than, than Cider was. And I do think maybe that plays into kind of the reaction too, because you, you get two guys picking the exact same spot coming out of uh, the exact same league, right, right? Leading up to the NHL and you expect to see the exact same thing. I don't think they're ever going to look like clones at all. Well, I feel like uh, I have this spidey sense that this discourse is going to come up quite a bit throughout the season. It certainly so. will. There's yeah. no doubt. I mean, like I was getting Mantha flashbacks, you know, and and I don't think he's Mantha is the thing, right? It's like, like, I, but you hear people talking about it the same way. It's like I, I just don't, you know. There, there are certain. It's very hard for a guy that size, six six, to look like they're going all out all the time. And most six four, and he does, and that's great. Um, but. I do think if if you saw Edvinson moving his feet constantly as a defenseman, he would constantly be out of position, uh, and and I think that yeah. that that has to be taken into consideration. Okay, we don't have time to cover every single Red Wing storyline, yeah. but why don't you why don't you give us and I asked the same thing of Prashanth. 
Why don't you give us a couple or however many of the key players you're focusing in on this season and why? And that could be for for positive reasons or, or, or otherwise. Who are you really keying in on as you're watching the Red Wings progress throughout the year? One of the guys who popped for me throughout the preseason was Dominic Kubalik, and I did not know what to expect when they signed him. Honestly, like if I'm being completely honest, the second I saw the signing, my reaction was, is this a little bit of overkill on how many free agents they're bringing in? Like they have prospects coming. Uh, having seen him through camp and through the preseason, I think this was one of their smartest signings, one of their highest upside signings, um, because I still think Dominic Kubalik is a guy who can score 20 to 25, maybe even more goals that the shot is really, really good. He forechecks way better than I was expecting. I, I was picturing him as just like a spot up shooter. Um, and I don't think he's that. And so through the preseason, he comes away as one of my biggest standouts as one of my biggest guys who's like, okay, this, this guy's going to really help their scoring depth. Um, and I'm curious to see how that translates into the regular season. It doesn't always, right? Um, he's a guy who had a lot to prove. Maybe sometimes that, you know, in, in the preseason, he's not going to be stripping goalies behind the net and scoring, I guess I should say, in the regular season too often uh, as he did, you know, in, in the preseason opener. But he stood out for me. Um, Storyline-wise, Philip Zadina has to be very high on that list. Thought he was really good in, in camp in the first half of the preseason. I thought he faded in the second half of the preseason. Um, and... You know, as of Monday, he was on the outside looking into the lineup. I expect that we'll see a different look when I go to the rink in an hour and a half here uh, for practice today on Tuesday, and we'll see if that bears out. Uh, listeners, by the time they hear this, will know whether or not that uh, bore out. But uh, I'm curious to see how that goes for him because I think he's a guy who looked like he was taking and running with the fresh start. And I was really – I don't know about you. Like, I was just really surprised given – Everything we've heard in camp, everything we've seen through most of the preseason, even acknowledging he did fade the second half of the preseason, that that was where things opened because it just seemed like such an obvious confidence runway as part of this fresh start. I mean, am I off base with that? No, we were talking about that as there seems to be, it's not a simple formula, player development, it's not a simple formula, but the same thing seemed to work for Zadina every single time. And I don't know. I didn't get too worked up about it because same thing as you. It's we're going to see what it ultimately transpires or how it ultimately transpires. But I was a little bit surprised to see them move him away from those really talented line mates and the opportunity because that seems to be what puts him in the best position to succeed. Well, and it, it wasn't. That's the thing that was like the it, like. There's been so often in his career, people have said like, just put him with Larkin or or whatever. And it's like, yeah, but there's other guys who who deserve that spot, right? This was not that. This was like, just play him with Kubelik on the third line. And like, that they were doing it. It was going well, I thought. Like, I thought those two complemented each other well. For as much as everyone wants to see Zadina score, I think at this point, I think it's fair to say he is a better playmaker than he is a goal scorer. I don't think that's controversial based on three years of evidence. And now you have him with this guy who is a dead finisher. And it was working between the two of us. So it just like, it surprised me to go away from that. Um, I, I get that there's different looks you can give. Um, and obviously if you have a guy like Adam Ernie for checking down low, gets the puck to the slot, Kubelik can finish that too. I, I get it. Um, but like Kubelik was on the fourth line. I, th- I think, I mean, I, I, we could parse who's third, who's fourth, but for that practice on Monday, he was on the fourth line. Like you're telling me Zadina Kubelik fourth line doesn't work. It just like surprised. And we'll see again. I, I expect this to change in an hour. But like, you know what I mean? Like, like that, that yeah. was what surprised me. We'll also see how the lines roll, right? Like this isn't the, the Red Wings have passed where the first line is doing anything yes. productive and everyone else is just survival at best. Yeah. Um, I would love, there's so much more to this conversation, but I do want to get your 
Red Wings prediction. Uh, last year they finished with 74 points, well outside the playoffs. So the the two part question here is, can you give us a points prediction in the standings and playoffs? Yes or no? 85 points, no playoffs. I think they finished probably like the 11th worst. So like in the lottery order, 11th. Uh, which I think could still bump you up to first. So maybe there's a silver lining. That's true. Uh, if, if you were to win the lottery, but, uh, yeah, that's my, that's my prediction. Uh, 85 points. And, and I think they finished sixth in the division. One point more optimistic than me. Okay. Good. We're yeah. close. Okay. We're close. Where was Prashanth? Uh, I think Prashanth said 83. Okay. We're uh, all, we're all within a win. And Brad was, uh, closer to 89, I think. So Brad was, yeah, the most optimistic. I'll say this. If you really buy, that the goaltending is going to be better. Yeah. That's where I think you could see it in that upper 80s is that like if you're like, hey, not only is Huso a big upgrade over Grice, you're going to get first half Nadelkovich for most of the year, then I could really buy that. Um, yeah. Yeah, that, that to me would be the X factor. Prashanth has made a lot of good points in that you know, the lack of experience probably takes away a lot of the certainty of them doing that. It's still a possibility, but he's – in chatting with him, he he made a lot of, I think, salient points about how much you can really expect out of that group. But you never know. No, it's true. And I mean, there's there's guys here who, you know, like Ole Mata is a guy who I don't think got any press maybe for the entire, you know, from basically the, after, the, after he signed his press conference all the way up through the start of preseason, maybe even into preseason. Um, I've really liked his game. I think he's going to help them a lot. I don't think he's going to, you know, he might have 15 points this year, but uh, I, when I watched him in the preseason games, it was like, this is a guy who's executing perfectly uh, on what they need him to do, which is get back, gap up, force a chip in, get it out, get it deep, get off the ice over and over and over again. And he just did that. So if, if you get things going like that, that is how you get that kind of like machine, like 500 record. And, and you have your guys, Cider and Raymond and Larkin who are, you know, stealing your games, winning your games, and you have your inexperience that's probably on some nights losing you games. Um, but you you keep those guys like Mata in there and, and they just do what they do. Peron, I think, kind of would, would count toward that. And I know people felt like he had kind of an unspectacular uh, preseason, which is fair, but I also think he's 34, to your point uh, <laughs> earlier, and you're just not going to see him light it up in the preseason. So no. you get guys like that who just do their job pretty well, um, and then you have your – you have that that's kind of the, your baseline and then you, you swing a little bit with your stars and, and with your youth okay very quickly here dylan lark and tyler bertuzzi both still unsigned i don't know if you expected both of them to be unsigned at this point any concern for either one and how much if you're a red if if you were to be a red wings fan what would you be thinking right now i didn't expect both to be unsigned i i think i expected larkins to be done by this point uh that being said, that's still the one I'm. Le- I'd be less concerned about uh, getting done because for two reasons. Number one, just he's been so clear that he wants to be a Red Wing. Um, he also has a no trade clause, so it's kind of is in his control. Like I know, you know, that this as this negotiation goes out, people get frust, you know, frustrated and and just want a resolution. But like, if he wants to ultimately be in Detroit, I think he will. Uh, the one that I would be a little more concerned about is Bertuzzi. And I know there's a lot of people out there who really don't like hearing this for good reason. Like I get it. Tyler Bertuzzi is really important to this team. Fans love him for obvious reasons. He plays a fun brand of hockey. He's brought a lot of personality. 
Uh, and, and I think he's an important part of what they do. Um, but unsigned does not have that no trade clause. We've seen a injury flare up. We did not get the specifics on what it was, but this has been one of the talking points as, as we've gone through this whole saga with him, like th- for like what two contracts now has been like, do you want to sign a guy long term? who's had some history of like back injury and, you know, when he was younger, he had the injury history in junior. And I just wonder if they're not willing to go long-term and if, if he's not willing to sign whatever uh, in the medium term, as the trade deadline creeps up, like what happens? So my confidence level that something gets done there would be lower just for all of those little facts. It's not like I'm saying, I know that, that this is what's going to happen. I don't, but you look at all the little indicators and it would just point toward, more more reason for concern i guess is what i'm saying well all this spells out to be probably the most exciting and story-filled season we've had since we've been covering the red wings so godspeed to you max i'd probably take it easy on the tailgates you're going to need that energy to pump out articles (laughs) aren't you coming with me on saturday after the (laughs) (laughs) that's right yeah i am (laughs) off to a bad start so we'll start that sunday morning (laughs) right yes our diet starts tomorrow Sunday. (laughs) Folks, Max Boltman of The Athletic Detroit, when I tell you that The Athletic is worth the price of admission for Max, I'm being serious. We don't stand to benefit by saying that at all. We just mean it. His work is that excellent. So uh, visit one of Max's articles. We'll link one in the description of this episode, and there should be an offer in there for you. Sign up. It is well worth it. Uh, And follow him on Twitter, M underscore Boltman. Max, thanks for joining, and uh, here we go, man. Anytime, man. We'll do it again soon. All right. Cheers. All right, that was our uh, guest spot with Max Boltman. Always good to have him on the show. Let's do our last divisional preview here before the season starts. And I use air quotations because Toronto has already lost a game before this preview, which is good. Maybe even two. Let me uh, open up the most recent scores. (laughs) Yep, Toronto lost one, Montreal won one. I feel like certain trends aren't going to hold. Okay, the Atlantic division obviously is the one we're most familiar with. And, uh, you know, we've already done the Red Wings season preview, so we've We've predicted where they are going to finish personally in terms of standings, but let's talk a little bit about who the movers and shakers are going to be in this division, who the bonafide playoff teams are going to be, and how much the likes of Ottawa, Buffalo, uh, et cetera, have improved compared to Detroit. So initial thoughts on the division, just what stands out to you? How similar it's going to be? think so. Yeah. Um, well, did Toronto get significantly worse? No. Did Boston? No. Did Florida? Kind of. Did Tampa? Not really. Did Montreal get better? No, absolutely not. Good God, no. Buffalo, Ottawa, and Detroit are what make this division interesting. Because Buffalo finished ahead of Detroit and Ottawa last year, and they improved. I don't think they improved as much as Detroit and Ottawa did, but they improved, and they'll be better than people give them credit for Ottawa's still got huge questions on defense, despite the fact they added Giroux and Debrinket, and you know they've got an exciting young offense that's only getting better. Obviously, we know what Detroit did. Um, it's, I think all the shuffling in this division probably happens between five and seven. I think we can probably comfortably say Montreal is going to be last. I'd I'd be surprised if the four playoff teams from last year were not the same four playoff teams this year, because even with Boston. And and all the injuries they're dealing with till November, December. When you actually dive deeper, uh, they hit the lottery because their fir- their front part of their schedule is soft. 
Yeah. It's almost like their owner is uh, the guy with the biggest stick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jeremy Jacobs did it. Yeah. So they, sh- they should be able to to weather the storm and then just have a bunch of rested guys come, uh, rested terrific hockey players like McAvoy and Marshawn come in midseason and just yeah, ramp just up those. from there. Just some individual trophy winners, that's all. So is it possible one of those teams drops off? Yeah, in theory. I just don't think it's likely. I don't think this is going to be a division where, you know, Florida with 122 points, Toronto 115, like very top and bottom heavy again. I see Buffalo, Detroit, Ottawa taking a lot more games off those top four. Here are the different factors working. Tampa Bay, again, they won their cups. Sorelli's well, still out with a soldier from shoulder surgery. Right. And lost Pilat and uh, McDonough. And so it's hard to stay as competitive. And then you're like, when are those games going to catch up to them? But then you remember who they still have on their team. That's right. And that's why I think they're going to be a playoff team. Florida, I mean, you don't lose Huberto and Uyghur and get better. I know adding Kachuk is fantastic, but they're going to have to find some time uh, or take some time to to settle into their new system without those guys. And My problem with Florida is they're obviously all in, but if they have to add at the deadline, what do they have left oh God, to, to, to trade? I just... They went all in last year. I don't... Yeah, they went as hard as they possibly could, rightfully so. Um, I just don't know how they improve without drafting, but they're not on the clock to, to draft. They need to improve. Like their defense needs to come from goaltending and between Knight and Bobrovsky, I think the potential is there. I just don't know that the guarantee that either of them are going to do it is there. I mean, they have a Norris candidate back there. That's yes, but just one. Only one this time. Yeah. That's a big downgrade. Toronto as much as it pains me to say, I think they're really well positioned to maybe win the division this year, but they're also depending on Matt Murray and Ilya Samsonov. So, I mean, best of luck, Kyle Dubas. Their goaltending wasn't good last year either, though. Jack Campbell had like a good month and a half. So, I think I think you're right. I think Boston's probably going to be the one on the outs, maybe Florida in terms of that four spot, but I still see them making it. Um I also really, like, I really do believe in the additions that Buffalo and Ottawa have made. Uh, Ottawa especially yeah they're going to have to find some defending but those are teams that are starting to find their way and buy in and that's where I think they're a little further along identity wise than Detroit that's I know a bunch of like up in the clouds unsubstantial talk but Red Wings in my mind still haven't taken that step a little bit last year with Cider and then Bertuzzi and Larkin and Raymond of course but they have a new coach they have new systems I think they're just a half step behind in that regard Goaltending is going to make the difference in this division, in my mind, in in every single way. This is probably going to be my toughest prediction to make, and the one that's going to be the most wrong. Yeah, this is going to be the most the one we spend the most time thinking about because we're a Red Wings podcast. It's going to be the most difficult division. Oh, God, funnily yeah. enough, yeah. So let's do standings with justification along the let's way. Let's just put Montreal at the bottom, and then we can move along, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, here's my seven-page thesis on why Montreal... No, I I think Montreal's win against Toronto is hysterical. I don't think... But I, you know what? I don't think Montreal is going to be as bad as maybe what the general public thinks. I think Martin St. Louis found something in Cole Caulfield. Um, I still just think the Philly... Well, apparently not Philly tonight. Um, Philly and Chicago are in a basement of their own. I think Arizona Montreal's well. outside that's that cellar door. 
Okay. Oh, so you would not put them in with Arizona, Philly, and Chicago. Yeah, I meant Arizona as well. Yeah. No, I don't I don't I don't know. I don't think I don't think I do. Half of their decor last night was playing their first NHL game. And they won. It was Toronto. <laughs> you know, we got accused of uh, not hating Toronto enough. Can you believe that? Who the <laughs> when have we ever given the impression that we can even tolerate them? We can give them credit for being good, but Good uh, God, we... I challenged the Steve Dangle podcast to a fight. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot to tell Steve about that when I saw him. Um, okay. Montreal last. Evan, do you want to just continue your predictions? No. All right. Montreal last for me. I am... I can't believe I am doing this considering all of the improvements made to this team. That could be almost any team. Yeah, you're, we talked about how five <laughs> through seven was pretty much interchangeable, and that statement clarified nothing. I think it's going to be a very tight race from five to seven. I'm going to put Detroit at seven. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Justification? No. Clip it. Clip no. it. You know what? I, I changed my mind. Oh, no, boo. too late. Too late. <laughs> coward. Boo, you are a coward. Okay, okay. I'll sit with it. Detroit at seven. Um, well, Detroit's making the playoffs, and Brad and I and our and I uh, no, you know no, no, I'm not going to be no, bullied. No. I'm not going to be bullied. You two do We're enough not bu- bullying. You... you just said it. It's already been clipped. It's already on the internet. It's, yes. it's out. You, and can't, it's going. you can't clean it in the wash now. We know you don't do that. <laughs> uh, I'll give you credit for that one. I'm going to go Buffalo wow. seven. I'm going to go Buffalo seven. I think they're going to be a, a much improved team, and I I would not be surprised if they're who I'm the most wrong about. Um, I think Rasmus Dalin is only going to get better. Obviously, Owen Power is coming in. Their goaltending is why flip flop there. I don't think they have exactly a stellar goaltending core, and I think that's what might let the floor fall out from beneath them. But um, I don't know. That's a team that found a lot of momentum, so I would not be surprised if I'm wrong. I'm going to stick Detroit at sixth, and I think they'll be tight in with Buffalo and De- and Ottawa uh, right above them. We talked a lot about Detroit last episode. I don't think they're going to be a powerhouse in that they're going to need time to find chemistry. I don't think the lines that we're seeing today, tomorrow, and the next day are going to be what we see at the end of the season. And I'm not just talking because of injury or trade. They still have a lot to work on and the defense needs work. You know, the defense is substantially better, but we moved from like a one to a three and a half on the scale. There are a lot of holes in that defensive core and it's not exactly something to write home about in terms of even being league average. We don't know. Um, like we have Oli Mata, who's not exactly the, the world's best skater, who is there to really solidify the second pairing with Philip Peronic, who's been underwhelming. So we need a lot to go right. The Red Wings need a lot to go right for that to be not a hindrance. Um, Ottawa, I'm going to put at fifth, uh, on the outs for the playoffs. I think, I think Ottawa and Detroit might make it interesting later on. I wouldn't put them as like late March teams um but you don't add the team the players that you did or or that ottawa did without you know translated translated success tim stutz was a phenom and they added obviously uh, a lot of firepower uh pulling into brinket and drew so uh like brad said they still need to add defense fourth i'm gonna go i'm gonna go florida and then Boston right above them at third. Uh, I think Boston's going to hold the fort and then finish strong with, like you said, Brad rested players. I think Florida's going to struggle to defend. I don't know how much I believe in the goalies carrying them through that. And they lost Huberto and Uyghur. So 
it's hard to come back from that, but that's another one where I'm probably wrong. Uh, two, I'm going to go Tampa Bay. And then first, unfortunately, I think Toronto has the edge there. All right, Brad, take us away. Tell me exactly how I'm wrong. Okay, comfortably. Um, Montreal last. Seventh, I'm going to go Ottawa. Okay. Their depth uh, beyond their top six uh, on offense isn't good. Their defense is comfortably the worst in the division, not aside from Montreal. Um, unless Jake Sanderson comes in and has a Mo Sider type season, uh, outside of Thomas Shabbat, there is not a lot there. I think Sanderson is really good. I think Sanderson is going to be terrific. But what Mo Sider did last year is so uncommon, you can't expect a rookie defenseman to come in Ottawa and fix their defense. You no. just can't. And I think their goaltending is tremendously overrated. Cam Talbot had a good year last year behind a much stronger team than Ottawa, a much stronger defense than Ottawa. Um, don't have a lot of confidence there. Um, the other team where I have absolutely zero confidence in their goalie, six, Buffalo. Um, I'm putting them at six purely on vibes. <laughs> uh, I have no good justification for it other than they are a, they're much better than people give them credit for because they didn't make the splashy moves like Ottawa and Detroit did this off season, but they finished ahead of Ottawa and Detroit last year. Um, not by much, but they did. And, and you know. They've got a lot of good prospects. J.J. Paterka scored his first NHL goal tonight. You know, Tuck, they're going to get a full season out of him. They're going to get a full season out of Krebs. Owen Powers coming in. He's going to be a Calder favorite. You know, if I had to guess who's going to come in and have more of an impact between Sanderson and Power, it's Power. And I still don't think people give Rasmus Dahlin enough credit despite being a first overall pick. Like, <laughs> Rasmus Dahlin's really damn good. And he doesn't get credit for it. So I'm going to, as long as Craig Anderson and Comrie can be Average? I don't think they will be. I don't think they will be either, but I don't think Cam Talbot and Anton Forsberg are going to be average either. Um, then then they'll be all right, and, and they'll be in the mix. Uh, then at five, I'm going to put Detroit. Um, again, right now for me, the separator between them and the two two teams below them is I have a lot more faith in Huso and Nadelkovic. Not a lot more, because that's also a very unproven tandem, but we've seen... Nadelkovic and Huso be very good recently. So it only takes one of them. So I'll, I'll place my bets on that. And we're not going to talk about the rest of the Red Wings because we've done that enough. At four, I'm going to agree with you on Florida. Um, not only does losing Huberto and Uyghur hurt, their depth took a bit of a hit this offseason too because let's not forget they lost players like Mason Marchment mm -hmm. um, to Dallas. So... You know, he was not a small piece for them last year. They're still good. They still got goaltending. They still got Ekblad and Barkov and Kachuk and Reinhardt. So they're not going to be a bad team. So I don't think they fall to the levels of the Red Wings and the Sabres and the Senators, but I don't think they're the powerhouse they were. Uh, at three, I'm going to go Tampa uh, for no other reason than they got to be getting tired by now, right? <laughs> like, right? It's got to happen. Uh, two, I'll go Boston. Again, their schedule lined up perfectly for them. They got Krejci back. When McAvoy and Marshawn come back, they'll be well-rested just as everybody else is starting to get tired. David Pasternak's in a contract year. You know, they've got a great tandem in net. Uh, probably the best tandem in the division. Um, obviously, Vasilevsky's the best goalie, but he ain't playing 82. Um, Swayman Allmark's good. Yeah, that's a really good tandem. And then at one, I hate it, but I have to go with the Leafs. I mean, you can make every joke justifiably so about their goaltending. Being as we bad, will. As it is. 
but they did not get goaltending last year, and they still were one of the top teams in the league. Austin Matthews is going to score a billion goals. Mitch Marner is going to probably put up 100 points playing defense now, apparently. Nylander, Tavares, Riley. Like, the team is just so ridiculously deep. The only... We've said it time and time again. The only team that can stop the Leafs is the Leafs. And time and time again, they prove that they are, in fact, very capable of doing that. But it usually doesn't happen until the playoffs. (laughs) So they're going to be fine in the regular season. They'll probably run the division. And then they'll get bounced by Florida in the first round. All right, boss. I have flip-flopped my division rankings from the moment I woke up this morning thinking about it till... Right the second. Oh, so you gave me hell, but really, I just had the luxury of going first. But you were doing the same thing in your head. Yeah, but I bullied you to go first, so it's all good. <laughs> Starting to sense a pattern on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, yeah, five, seven through five is is a toss-up. Absolute toss-up. It could be any of the three teams that you guys have mentioned. Um, For me... Obviously, Montreal is at the bottom for all things uh, stated. I'm going to go Detroit at seven. Oh, my goodness. We all pick different for Detroit, so one of us is going to be right, or all of us are going to be wrong, and then we're going to make the playoffs. We'll all be happy. Yeah, I'm the only <laughs> You're one, welcome. I'm the only one who believes I want that on the record right now. <laughs> new coach, a lot of new faces, new systems, new goalies. Well, one new goalie, but they're playing a heavy tandem this year. That's a lot. That's a lot to deal with for one year. Changing your coach like like Florida is doing, minus their additions, that's a lot. Bringing in a new coach is a lot, but they've done basically a full overhaul. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's yes, which is largely viewed as a positive because gestures broadly at last year's team. Like, well, I mean, yeah, that is a positive <laughs> in that aspect. But I I think the division's only getting stronger, and like I said, five through seven is a toss up. So I've made it. With this pick, a true toss-up. So once again, yeah, you're no, welcome. You don't get to justify it. Um, Evan's ap- the downer. He hates the Red Wings. It's true. After that, I'll go Ottawa. Um, this is the summer of Pierre, but this is now the winter, and uh, it. I don't think it's enough to really propel this team. They've got you know, Sutzla is really turning up. Uh, Brady Kachuk starting to to morph into a true leader. They brought in Giroux for leadership as well, and him and DeBrincat have looked really good in preseason. And they they brought in Cam Talbot, who's a very serviceable goalie. Um, I just don't think it's enough to surpass Buffalo, who I have next. Um, it's a final. Buffalo just beat Ottawa four one. Look at that! <laughs> exactly my point. Um, I really like what Buffalo's got going. They've got guys who actually want to be there now. Uh, another year of Rasmus Dahlin, who looked terrific last year. Um, Owen Power, uh, him and Mason McTavish could possibly be the top two Norris finalists. Um, a lot to be excited about in Buffalo. They One thing that you guys didn't mention is they're finally out of the Jack Eichel saga at this point, so that air is completely um, erased for this season. So I like a lot of what Buffalo is going for. I'll be completely honest. I had them in the playoffs before I sat down and this and, and you guys started. Interesting. So who would you have coming out? Which I, I who I assume what you who you'll have at fourth. No. <laughs> oh, so you had Dude, you had you had because both fl- wild cards coming out of I the Atlantic. Flip flopped literally everything from the the haves and the have nots. I've flip flopped. 
17,000 times. So next I've got Florida, um, but I originally didn't think I, there's no way a a president's winning trophy team doesn't make the playoffs, but that was what I was going to originally say that Buffalo was going to pass them, but that just (laughs) seemed a little too wild today. Um, I'll go with Florida, you know, they lost two of their cornerstone pieces in a trade, but I haven't remember the last time they won a trade. So that is not a good sign for a team that thinks they're all in right now. Um, after that, I will go Boston. Um, they've got an easy schedule to start the year where that was my biggest concern with that team. There's such a professional locker room that they're going to find ways to win and they will comfortably move and secure the third spot in the Atlantic. After that, Toronto's going to have to beat Boston to make it to the next round, and I am all here for it. Um, Their goaltending, as you guys have stated, leaves a lot to be desired. Matt Murray may as well cut his left arm off because he can't stop a puck with his glove to save his (laughs) life. Um, He has health issues. Samsonov has consistency issues. That's not great. And I'm not a I'm not a very firm believer in Muzzin or Hall either on the back end. I think they leave a lot to be desired as well. Up front, obviously juggernauts. Don't need to rehash that a million times. Um after that, I'm going with Tampa to win the division. Until Vasilevsky is not in the NHL playing for the Tampa Bay Lightning, I refuse to bet against him and that team that is willing to just sacrifice leg and limb to win games I I still think they're too deep they know how to win yeah it's been two long seasons being in or three long seasons being in the cup finals but they're just so good and you know they lost McDonough but they they've turned Sergachev into a player and I thought he was horrendous for a while they've still got Hedman they've still got everybody who's of true core to that team Um, so I, I see them winning the division all right that's our Atlantic division preview that wraps up all of our divisional previews our red wing season preview uh we'll put up the uh, our final predictions uh, online so we can see just how wrong we end up being by the end of the season You're okay welcome. folks we're gonna jump into uh, a very quick overtime here on the uh, winged wheel podcast uh for those of you who don't know overtime is brought to you by our patreon supporters patreon.com slash winged wheel podcast if you want to help support the show and uh, allow us to do things like continually podcast through the entire offseason, run Winged Wheel Podcast Night at the LCA in partnership with the Detroit Red Wings, uh, make those sweet Mickey Redmond special edition flannels in benefit of the Jamie Daniels Foundation, run Wings Money in the Board. All of that comes for our patrons. So uh, thank you so much for supporting the show. Patreon.com slash Winged Wheel Podcast. Let's take some questions. Jonathan Melwish says, Hi, gents. What is your one chaos prediction for this season? Uh, to make it more fun. So what is your one prediction of chaos that would make the NHL season more fun? It's the NHL. Generally, it doesn't make it, the chaos in it doesn't make it more fun. <laughs> uh, the basement teams are who we know them to be and none of them win the Connor Bedard sweepstakes. That'd My God. Fun. Nothing would that bring would me be, more joy. That would be the greatest. I don't yeah. even care who it is. Yeah. Arizona, Chicago, uh, Philly, all of Montreal, all of them suck. They suck hard. They're intentionally tanking, and none of them win Connor Bedard. Oh, right to my eyeballs. Yeah, that would be fantastic. 
Uh, Ginger Beard Man says, who would you rather have today, a Prime Rafalski or Prime Cronwall? Also, the flannel is awesome. Thanks, guys. I'm going to go Cronwall. I'm going to go Cronwall, too. I'm a sucker for the big hit. But, man, Rafalski really does get overlooked in terms of what he brought to this team paired with Lidstrom. I was going to say Rafalski. Okay. But, yeah, man, is it hard to turn down a, a Cronwall hit. Adam Rose says, what's your surprise rookie of the year pick not named Elmer Soderblom? You know, Joseph had a good answer here, Cole Perfetti. As a surprise pick? That would be a surprise. Yeah. I'm, okay, I'm going to summarize this. I'm going to cheat by giving kind of a multiple answer. One of the Buffalo guys not named Owen Power. Jack Quinn, J.J. Paterka. Oh, okay. I think, uh, I don't know how much of a surprise, but considering what he's been through, Marco Rossi out of Minnesota as well. Is that really a surprise? Yeah, I, I don't know. He feels like a top five candidate to me. Last year, I mean, when he was, uh, you know, his career was in jeopardy at one point, that would have been a surprise. Anyhow, Stan Olson says, hey, fellas, rank these three hypotheticals by most to le- least likely in your eyes. One, Valeno outplays Cop and finishes the year as second-line center. Two, Johansson is the first injury call-up on D and plays well enough to be a third-pair guy over Osterley, Hag, and Wallman. Three, Wings make a playoff spot and Lalone wins the Jack Adams. Two would be the most likely, right? Yeah. Yeah, the first one is definitely the least likely. So then, yeah. So two most likely, one least likely, three middle. Okay, we have time for one more question here, then we're going to get into the Patreon exclusive overtime. It's uh, from Brad Sassy Twitter Replies. <laughs> says, at what point does the notion of competing for a roster spot go so far to the to the degree that it's ineffective? It's no secret, and you guys have spoken at length about Zadina's lack of confidence. He seemed to play real well in preseason, and I can't help but wonder and worry if this will have the, at the same adverse effect on what we need to see from him. On the other hand, I guess if he cannot rise to the occasion and replicate what, what Lalone is asking of him, he's not playing to the level of what's necessary to be a playing member of this team. I see both sides, but I think it's a slippery slope for Zadina specifically. I think ultimately it's like it's too early to call anything a trend. And regardless of all the confidence stuff, which I was a big, you know, I put that out there quite a, quite often and, and I do believe in it. But at the end of the day, something that I always came back to was Zadina still has to earn the spot. I have a hard time thinking that he didn't do enough to, you know, make the roster. I, I understand why it was, a, it was a close call, and obviously Lalone came down on one side of that. But at the end of the day, he has to undeniably earn the spot. There's just a lot of guys who have already done so, so there's fewer spots to grab. So, yeah, competing for a roster spot, if what Evan said where it's like it's not applied evenly, if that's what's happening, then, yeah, I, that could be destructive. But I don't really see that as being the situation here. Zadina it needs to and uh, by all rights it looks like he has like there doesn't seem to be uh, an issue it seems like he's bought in it's again just the home opener but he needs to kind of buy in and and earn that roster spot what the one thing I don't want to see happen is the bullshit we saw over the however many previous years of oh well this guy's standard is higher and we're holding him to that standard, whereas this plug over here can barely tie his skates. So, you know, he he's doing the best to tie his skates, so we're going to keep letting him play because it's as good as he can do. Zadina is one of the 12 best forwards on this team, and if he's playing like that, he should be in the lineup. And, 
you know, Adam Ernie and Philip Zadina should not have different standards. Oscar Sundquist and Philip Zadina should not have different standards. That's players know that any player on any hockey team knows the level of every one of his teammates. And if 80% of Zadina is way better than 90% of Adam Ernie, then it shouldn't be held to what Adam Ernie's 100% is and what Philip Zadina's 100% is. It should be a baseline of the 12 best forwards. I disagree to a degree, but that's for another day. We have to wrap up. We have a home opener to go to. Depending on when you're listening, we'll see you there. Or we already have seen you there. Or we've all watched the Red Wings' first two games of the season. But no matter what, we're just happy that Red Wings hockey is back. We'd like to thank uh, all of you who have tuned in uh, over the offseason leading up to Red Wings hockey returning. New listeners and old, uh, all of our patrons, the sponsors of this uh, episode, NordVPN, our name level supporters on Patreon, Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, Ake Fur, Ryan's receding hairline, Nick Perks, Terry Driver of the number 69, Crying Ryan Hannah's Banana Slam Jamathong, Matthew M. Rice, Croner's Left Knee, Ben Hurd, Brandon M., Carl, Brittana Nanaluski, Chimmy, Chris Ball, Chris P., Citizen High Five, Connor Scovey, Coyote Season Tickets in Tempe, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, Elite First Line Scoring, sc- Elite First Scoring Line, Scott Dork, Sleeve McDichael, and Bobson Dugnut, Give Blood Fight Probert, uh, Hassam Al Qasem, Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Kalen Wood, Kevin James, King Tone, Marcus, Matt McKay, Nadelkovich, goalie number one, Nicholas Fritz, R.A., Ryan Hanna, Ryan Hanna, The Unshowered, Ryan Hubbard, Ryan Evan and Brad, a.k.a. The Winged Wheel Squares, Scott Martin, The Podcast and Couch, Zachary Rogers, General Andy Bohan of The Cheesebag Army, Sam Bankson, Ace of Base, Frontman, Jonas Berggren, Adam, I Wish I Could Finish Like Ernie, Adam Rose, Antonio Gracias, Babe Landeskog is a Stanley Cup champion, Ben Barron, Brian Vasha, Connor Leighton, Darren Fick, uh, Dave W., Philip Zadiz Nuts, James Laporte, Jeffrey Dun Dun Dun, Jeremiah Dobo, J.M. Rhapsody, John Evans, John Ingalls, who is a uh, newer name level sponsor, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Linda Hull, Logan Burgos, Matt S., Maximilian, Melissa Erickson, Ophelia, Papa Woody, Pews and Boots, Reed, The Wing Wheel Podcast Flannel Gang, Thick Rick. Thank you all so much. Enjoy the homework. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.